I'm Sarah Cooper, and today you'll hear my story on San Francisco people. Welcome to San Francisco People. I'm Frank Garza. Today's guest is Sarah Cooper. Now, it's hard for me to describe who Sarah is and what she does in just one simple, concise sentence. With a lot of my other guests, this was pretty easy. I did a show a while back with Helena Zaladova, and I just told you guys, she's one of the top real estate agents in San Francisco. Pretty straightforward. I'm sure you guys knew where I was going with that one. Later, I interviewed Fayette Fox, and I said, she's a writer who just published her first novel. Again, pretty straightforward. And with Travis Sigley, that one was the easiest. I just told you guys he was a professional cuddler, and yeah, everybody knew what I was talking about there. But Sarah, her and her career path are not as easy to describe. Since high school, she spent most of her life bouncing between two different paths. On one side has been more traditional roles in corporate America. On the other side, she's been trying to find her creative passion. She's worked for companies like Yahoo and Google as a graphic designer. She's done acting in commercials, TV shows, and films. She's been a stand-up comic and been on stage at some prestigious comedy clubs in New York. She's currently spending a lot of her time on her satirical blog, The Cooper Review. The Cooper Review features weekly original articles, videos, and cartoons on corporate humor, news, and other stuff. She's best known for a post called 10 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings. She published that one last summer without expecting too much, but then it went viral. Since it was published, it's been viewed 3 million times. Today, Sarah shares her journey that she's taken to discover the right path for her between corporate America and her creative passions. And she also shares what some of the best highlights have been along the way. Sarah lives in the hate. She shares her favorite spots in the hood and throughout San Francisco. So let's go talk to Sarah. that you were born in Jamaica, mm-hmm. but that you moved away when you were three. So do you remember anything from Jamaica or were you too young? I, I'm too young to remember anything. I have pictures of myself, you know, in, in cute little dresses in, in Jamaica. And they're, they're not my memories. They're just pictures. I don't remember anything of that. But uh, um, And I think I was learning to talk, too, when I first moved here when I was three. So... Everybody wants me to do the accent, and I can't do the accent. I just it just doesn't sound good at all. <laughs> I saw that clip of you on the the news show yeah. talking about um, the email thing, and that guy was like, like made you do the accent. Like, yeah. I could tell you did not want to do it, and then he was like, "Yeah, you sucked at yeah. it." <laughs> Pretty much. And then my mom posted that clip on Facebook and all of my family members were like, yeah, you're terrible at that. Like everybody just reiterated what I've been saying. That's a lot of pressure to do that on the spot. I will not, nor that I plan to ask you to do that. Okay. Thank you. Are both your, so are your parents Jamaican? My whole family's Jamaican. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what... Um, made you guys move to DC, right? Isn't that where you moved? Um, yeah, my grandmother moved first, so that's my dad's mom, and um, just more opportunity. You know, the 
Jamaica is still a third world country for and all intents and purposes. And, um, you know, so my parents had four kids. I was the last one. And um, my mom left. We, you know, I had a bunch of family in New York and Florida and Maryland. And my mom left to kind of do some research on where, you know, we should move to. And then, you know, finally decided on D.C. because that's where my grandmother was. But it was just for more opportunity. Well, when I was reading your bio Mm -hmm. and your story, it it reminded me of a tennis match. Mm. And uh, let me explain myself. You know, you you picture the face of somebody at a tennis match and they're like constantly looking from left to right, like back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. And your journey reminded me of that because there's these two paths, it seems, that you've been like trying to decide between Mm -hmm. and trying to try out. There's this creative side of you. Mm-hmm. that's done acting, uh, stand-up comedy, writing now. Mm-hmm. And then there's this more, I guess, the more typical corporate professional yeah. like graphic design side. So that seems like something that you've been like wrestling with, trying to figure out your whole life. Can mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Can you talk about that? That's incredibly accurate. Um, just today I, you know, was doing research on incorporating a business. And then I remembered just five years ago, I was doing research on incorporating a business when I had, you know, tried this like before, you know, so it's funny. I've never heard a tennis match as an, you know, analogy for that, but it is very much like that. I've, you know, I've always had a creative side and a need to make people laugh. I was the funny one in the family, still am. Um, and, uh, I, also am an immigrant. And so my parents are also typical immigrants want their kids to, have jobs that will make them lots of money and and make sure that they're secure. And so I think I've always struggled um, with taking the creative stuff seriously. Everyone takes the real job seriously. They take the title seriously. When you say that you're exploring acting, they're like, okay, <laughs> they don't really take that very seriously. And that's the reaction I got, you know, from my parents. It's the reaction you get, you know, whenever you try something that's just a little bit different. And um, I'm very uh, sensitive to how people react to what I do. And so I think it's just that now I'm starting to get older that I'm starting to realize, you know what, I have to take myself seriously. You know, I have to say this is important and this is meaningful to me. And it you know, other people will come around eventually, hopefully, but I can't really worry about that. But it's definitely been a struggle between like what people look at and approve versus what I am drawn to. Right. And I did get the sense that, um, I don't know if conflict is the right word, but with your parents, Mm -hmm. um, that they have kind of pushed more towards the professional side um, I think I read that you had a theater scholarship mm-hmm. to the University of Maryland and mm-hmm. they kind of pushed you to do something more business related. Yeah. Is that, has that conflict been always there? Yeah. I mean, that conflict has been there and I, you know, I think I like to say it's all their fault cause that's just <coughs> easier. Um, but if I really, really wanted a theater degree, I could have pushed and I could have made it happen. Um, I think that I was just still struggling with the fact that people, you know, other people didn't even, you know, think it was a good decision or a good move. Um, I think my boyfriend in college was also someone who was like, I don't know about that, you know? Um, so I think I was just really affected by that, not just from my parents, just from everybody, um, everybody around me. Okay. 
So let's talk about, I want to talk about a lot of the, you know, aspects of your journey, but let's talk about the acting first. Mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds like you always had that bug growing up. You know, I think I read you always felt like you wanted to perform Mm -hmm. in front of people. So I know you've done commercials, you've done some film, you've done some TV shows. Let's talk about the commercials first. Mm -hmm. Tell me about a few interesting commercials that you've done. Okay. Um, Or any that stand out. What have you tried to sell people? (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, when I first moved to New York, I was in a commercial for Bing, which was relatively new at the time. The search engine. The search engine. And it was with um, Kelly Coutrone, who uh, some of your viewers or <laughs> listeners, viewers, uh, your non-viewers might remember from like reality television. Like she's this fashion person who dresses in all black and it just has a terrible attitude about everything. And um, yeah, so I was, you know, an ice cream store employee or opening up a shop and like you know she had come to find it was a commercial for bang that was going to play in uh cabs in <laughs> it was cabs? a cab commercial oh in cabs cabs okay. <laughs> this is what they do in new york like you're in cabs so much that they make commercials specifically for cabs oh, cool. that will be like oh i just found this on my bing app i'm in a cab i'm going to tell the cab to take me there and then you know they come over there i i don't know it was silly yeah yeah okay yeah that's one i can't i don't I, don't, I feel like I didn't do that many commercials. Um, Is that where you got your start? Was that the first, I guess, acting on television that you did? Um, no. I, um, I, when I, when I moved to San Francisco, I worked for Yahoo for a while. And then I left Yahoo and sort of left the tech world to pursue acting again. And then ended up back in Atlanta and uh, with an agent. And um, so I was doing a lot of like extra work, uh, a lot of Tyler Perry stuff. Um, So I was in, uh, you know, Meet the Browns and those kinds of like shows um, because he has a huge studio there. So that was the first sort of television stuff that I'd done. Okay. Yeah. How about the Army Wives? Mm-hmm. I know that was, uh, that was uh, I guess, a series, or you booked a couple of episodes on that series. Yeah. Uh, Sherry? Yeah. Is that who you were? Yeah. And, and was, that on, was it on Lifetime? Um, was that Lifetime? Um, the maybe. clip I saw was on Lifetime, but right. it could have just been like replaying it. Yeah. Um, tell me about that role. Yeah. And, and did that seem like a bigger break to you? Because it seemed like after that, you decided to move to New York and pursue acting a little bit more seriously. Yeah, yeah. So I had been... Um, I'd been in Atlanta for like a year and a half. I'd auditioned for that show 10 or 11 times before I finally got a part. Um, and it was a real, it was a really small role, but I still had a trailer and stuff like that. So that was cool. Um, there's a, there was only a few shows at the time that shot in Atlanta. Um, and that was one of them. I actually never watched it before. I thought it was a reality show. I had no idea what it was, but you know, I was auditioning for it. Um, that's what I thought when I heard the name. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought too. Um, but then I started auditioning for it. Finally, I got a part on it and, um, turned out to be a recurring role. I had two episodes on, on the, the series. Uh, and it was interesting. It's, it's, it's weird how much time it takes to shoot, uh, those shows. Um, a, a scene that is only like a few minutes long could take hours to shoot. And I think that was, um, 
I had a few moments like that, you know, in little bits of theater that I was doing or uh, TV shows that I was doing where I was like, this is, I, I'm, I enjoy the output. I enjoy like seeing it, but I'm not sure I actually enjoy the actual doing of it. I'm not sure I actually enjoy being on set for four hours to say two lines. Like I, I didn't, um, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as, you know, when you see actors being interviewed and they're like, oh, this is so much fun. And, you know, I'm just getting paid to do what I love. I just didn't feel that way. It just it felt exciting and it felt rewarding, but um, it wasn't as much fun as I thought it was going to be. It was a lot of pressure, too. That was the first time where I had giant cameras in my face and a sea of 20 people behind the camera waiting for me to say my one line. And I just felt really nervous and just I felt a lot of pressure um and it wasn't as much fun as stand-up or improv of just doing things off the cuff and whatever happens happens it felt very much like I had to be very precise um which isn't actually true because if you look at the best actors they're unpredictable they're they're doing things that are surprising you and that you know they're making mistakes maybe but they work with it and I never felt comfortable enough to like settle in to like make mistakes and to be like interesting in an unexpected way. Um, and that's really why I tried stand up because I felt like I really needed to be more myself. I was trying to be these characters and it wasn't working. Um, I'd get a camera in my face and I would f- sort of freeze. And I don't know, I, I personally don't think it was very interesting to watch. But when I did stand up, I felt more comfortable, more like myself. I was saying my own words. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to try it, because I figured, you know, maybe if I could get more in touch with who I am, then maybe I would become a better actor. But then I actually enjoyed the stand up more. Yeah. So I I always thought doing stand up would be fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not very funny. You know, so it wouldn't go very well. You're funny looking. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, maybe that would give me at least a few laughs up there. <laughs> but I always thought that if you were going to do it, like that very first time getting up on stage with a mic would be just so like horrifying and scary. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the first time Absolutely. you got up on stage? Can yeah. you tell um, me about it? So a lot of people are inspired by great, stand-up comedians to go and try it I was inspired by somebody who I thought would be good but actually didn't do that well I was watching a YouTube video and this comedian was just sort of bombing and I was like I can do that you know <laughs> like his failure inspired me to try it um and uh I just had this story about a guy that I was dating at the time and I thought it was a funny story and I wrote it down and I said you know what I'm just gonna give it a shot and I'm just gonna go to this open mic and I went with a friend and my friend was so excited he brought his camera he's like I'm gonna record this this is great um I drank so much I probably <laughs> had about eight beers was like, that so was that the plan were you like I'm gonna get shit faced before yeah. I go up there okay well, it wasn't like you wasn't like nervous and I just kept like going after the other. No, I think I knew that I was going to get drunk. And right before the open mic, they had a little pre open mic for people that just wanted to give it a shot without an audience. And I did it and it was horrible. I mean, you know, to try it with people there is one thing. At least maybe you can make them laugh a little bit and you can get some feedback to try it for the first time with no audience, no laughter, nothing. And you're just saying whatever you're saying. Like I was so nervous So I think that inspired me like, okay, I'm definitely going to have to have a few drinks before I actually do this. But when I got up there, 
I was so comfortable and I had uh, just a great time. It was just, it's still like one of my favorite performances, even though it's not that funny. It's still one of my favorite experiences. What was the, will you share the story? The, you said it was a funny story about a boyfriend. Yeah. And he wasn't a boyfriend. He was a guy that I was completely in love with. And it was just about me being like head over heels, crazy, crazy person for this person that didn't even know my name. And it was just a, it was just a story about, uh, you know, sort of letting him kind of walk all over me in the worst way possible and just kind of relaying that. Um, in retrospect, like that's, what a lot of female comedians talk about is kind of their dating situations and things that go wrong. But that's what I had to say. So that's what I said. Did people laugh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I got people to laugh, you know, I I got people to laugh in the beginning and then it kind of went, (laughs) it went off into (laughs) its own direction and people were like, okay, you know, and then I only was supposed to be up there for five minutes. I think I ended up staying up there for eight, just talking and talking and talking. So I bet that felt good though. When you got off the stage, like knowing that you had done it. Yeah. It felt really good. So I saw a couple of your, um, on your website, you had a few like bits mm-hmm. um, up there. And one of them, you seemed to be getting heckled oh, which a one? little bit. Um, something about like you you were about to follow somebody into like their room and they could have been like a rapist or a murderer oh, yeah. or something. And there's some guy on the stage yeah. who was like laughing and you're like, man, yeah, you think this is funny? You know, and like, yeah. so getting heckled yeah i wanted to ask you about that mm-hmm. i mean did you did that happen a lot did you get I've, good at handling people who I've are doing been that so fortunate i haven't been heckled very much um i'm i've realized this year just this year actually how terrified i am of audiences and um it really i don't know what it is i'm i'm very scared of people saying random things and me not having a comeback I'm scared of that. I don't know what it is. Um, that's the thing that scares me about improv too. It's just like, what if I don't know what to say? You know, um, that experience, the room was really rowdy and I wasn't drunk at all because I'd stopped drinking at that point to do stand up. I was doing it completely sober. And so um, it just throws you off guard and you're not sure how much to address it versus how much to ignore it and just move on. You're trying to please so many people. There's the people that actually want to hear what you have to say. There's the people that want you to deal with the person that's drunk and being loud. Um, You know, I've seen people tear down people that are like being rowdy and just be so mean to them and you can go too far you can go past a point where people are on your side scared of that too you know like it's it's just a very touchy situation and it's one of the things that I if I continue to do stand-up which I haven't decided I'm gonna do yet um I would love to get better at I would love to get better at rolling with the punches on stage and being so comfortable that I am fine with whatever happens because I'm still not there yet. I'm still very much a here's my script kind of stand up comedian. Do you do it in San Francisco now? I I haven't tried it yet here. No. Okay. Well, I think my my favorite bit that I saw, I think you were at the New York Comedy Club. Mm -hmm. So you mean you've you've done this at some pretty good sized venues Mm -hmm. was one that you were doing about like catch for like tech catchphrases like you better check your email yeah yeah yeah, i love that one can you you elaborate on that one at all yeah sure (laughs) i was watching um hollywood exes with my mom and um one of the exes uh her her um way of telling a woman to sort of check herself or whatever was to be like 
she needs to check her email. Oh no, she needs to check. You know, she looked at me like that. She needs to check her email. You know, like almost like you you need to you need to step off or step back. But instead, it was check your email. <laughs> so funny it's, it's like the funniest thing to me because she was using it in such a mean way yeah you know like it was it was like a fuck you it was yeah. like fuck you go check your email <laughs> it's like <laughs> i sent you something it's a virus i mean she didn't go that far but i just thought it was so funny and it kind of combined like my love of like tech stuff with this like random reality show person who's using it as a cut down so i just kind of expanded on it the first time I tried it was at an open mic and I was saying things like you know you need to um redo your database I was doing things that were just really way too far techie and people didn't understand them and so I had to back it up a little bit and like you know you know charge your iPhone you know as as a cut down so basically just using yeah these you know about somebody's drive about to be corrupted yes you better better update your software because your data is about to get corrupted like yeah so I just thought that that was really funny like what if people actually use those as cut downs yeah I like I'm gonna use the email one yeah I'm gonna try and like (laughs) within the next week I'm I'm going to try and like blow it out at least once. Well, in San Francisco, people are actually going to be like, really? Did yeah. you send me something? They'll like pull out their phone and like check it right there. <laughs> They'll check it right there. Check my email. Nothing's there. What yeah. do you got to say now, Frank? That's right. <laughs> uh, so I love that one. I thought that was really funny. Everybody should go check that one out. Um, going back to the acting. Um, you, you've been in some films. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a hard time finding what films you're on, but I did find you, I think, on IMDb. Mm-hmm. And there's three films listed there. Mm-hmm. Um, Ashtide, mm-hmm. Fat Boy Chronicles, mm-hmm. and Battle. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched a little bit of Ashtide. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the trailers for the other ones. Now, Battle, I want to read everybody what the, what the description is of the movie was okay this is gonna pull everybody in right here okay it said when thieves steal the tracks that ripa was using for a crucial beat battle the up-and-coming music producer struggles to prove his talent by cooking up an even hotter mix with the help of some talented friends <laughs> now that was in 2011 and i don't remember what other movies were out that year but was that nominated for best picture <laughs> You know, I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. It was definitely a contender. What if was they your, did send it in, they should have. What was your role in that movie? I think I was Ripa's ex side chick. Ah. <laughs> I was Some drama. A dime piece. Uh yeah. I was a chicken head. Yeah. If you know any of those phrases, uh, I don't probably know chicken not, head. Because I didn't know them <laughs> when I first, you know, signed on to be the role or I don't know. I don't even remember what my name was, but I just I just had a few lines and I was mad because Ripa had moved on from me and I was like dating like the next hip hop star or whatever. So I being in Atlanta, you know, being a black girl, like I got a lot of those kind of roles that were just not me at all. Yeah. But, you know, they were part of the scene and the culture. And then I did see you in the Ash Tide, mm-hmm. the scene where you were like, I was there's a, a guy trying to like run in the operating yeah. room and you're like holding him back yeah 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 that was pretty impressive you're able to hold that dude back thank you i didn't even have any lines but i think that was yeah yeah any other films um are like those the only three or were there more um, films that you did um i think the last film i did was one called rendezvous um which was another independent film um and uh i was at the premiere of that when i got the call that i had uh uh, got an offer from Google. So I had the, the worlds colliding again, right. sort of. 
Um, I was on the red carpet trying to think about, you know, should I take that offer from Google? Um, and yeah, that was kind of like th- three, you know, stories, three relationship stories sort of intertwined. So at some point, I think you were working for Google mm-hmm. and you kind of got the creative like urge again to go do something. Mm-hmm. And that launched Ooh La Love, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Which is a satirical dating site. And I, I didn't do a lot of reading on that, mm-hmm. but I did browse through. And I picked out a few titles Good. that I really liked. Um, Eight Reasons to Accept His Booty Text. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Movember. Celebrate, December. <laughs> uh, six Ways a Prostitute Could Save Your Marriage. And then there's a guys section. Um, she Deserves an Orgasm too, and Other Relationship Myths. <laughs> so were you writing all of these? Was this a one-person show? Um, with that last one, my now husband wrote that okay. one. He's hilarious. Um yeah, I I wrote a bunch of of them. I um I wanted to kind of make fun of Cosmo and like all of these dating sites. Like it, the thing that um kind of fascinates me is being um in a space where you have such a serious problem as like, you know, I don't know what he's thinking or I don't know where this is going. You know, you're having some kind of relationship difficulties that you go read an article about it. And these articles are terrible and they give the worst advice possible. Um, and so I just kind of wanted to make fun of that. But I think in the end, I wasn't sure who I was making fun of. Cause at some point I was like, I'm making, I'm actually making fun of the people who read these articles, not making fun of the articles themselves. Cause I had a few in there like, you know, will he cheat a sixth time? Take the quiz. <laughs> like, yeah, he's probably going to cheat a sixth time. <laughs> Don't read this article. Um, but it was fun. Are you still writing articles for that website or has that been kind of retired? Yeah, that's retired. It still gets like a few hundred hits a day just from search engine stuff. So, but it's, it's retired. Okay. Yeah. And so then at some point you wrote this 10 tricks to appear smart in meetings. Yeah. About a year later. About a year later. Mm -hmm. And that went viral. Mm -hmm. I think I read like it has 4 million views. Yeah. So I guess tell me about like how you came up with that idea, like what you were expecting it to do versus what it actually did. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's start there. Um, well, I actually started writing it down about seven years ago on the shuttle from the marina to Yahoo when I was working at Yahoo. Um, I noticed someone who, you know, turned a percentage into a fraction. I thought, oh, that's, you know, that's cool. I should do that. You know, <laughs> I, I noticed the Venn diagram thing. I think those are the two things that I noticed. And it was just two things at the, at that point. And then I was going through some old stuff, like a few years prior to it publishing it. And I came pro- across the journal and I came across those things. And I was like, oh, I should finish this. This is kind of funny. Um, and then what really inspired me was LinkedIn started, you know, asking people to publish stuff on LinkedIn. And I said, well, maybe this would be good for LinkedIn, you know, like how to, you know, look smart in meetings or whatever. Um, I wrote it and I, you know, um, you know, did some really stupid drawings or whatever. And I was going to put it on LinkedIn, but then it just didn't feel right. It felt like, you know what, (laughs) I don't want people at Google to, you know, see this associated with my resume on LinkedIn, you know, that's not, that doesn't feel right to me because a lot of the people at Google do these things. (laughs) So I always, I always, I was also, uh, a little, um, 
scared of publishing it because I thought people would see themselves in it and maybe take offense to it or something like that. But I pushed past that and I found Medium and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to put it up on Medium. Um, And I really didn't expect anything to come of it. I just thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. I shared it, you know, with a few people, um, but it took off almost immediately. um, When was it? When did you post it on Medium for the first time? It was July 2nd. Of 2014? Um, yeah. Okay. And so it was the July 4th weekend, which I think might have helped too because people weren't really paying attention to work that week either. But, you know, within a few days, it had hundreds of thousands of views. Um, and it really made me understand like vi- virality because I was trying to make Ula Love go viral so much and it just wasn't happening. And this, I didn't do anything. I put it on Medium. That's all I did. And it took off on its own. And it made me understand that, like, if you have something that people really like, it will take off on its own. You really don't need yeah, to do that much. It's all about the content. Yeah. So what are some of the ways you can appear smart in oh. meetings? You kind of alluded <laughs> to a few of them, but yeah. what are some of your favorite? Um, definitely one of my favorites is the percentages to fractions thing. It's such a subtle thing. But if someone says 25% of people click on this button just to go, oh, so about one in four people, you know, and just make a note of it. It's just such a, because people think, oh, wow, he really clarified that for us because before it was this vague percentage and now it's this concrete, you know, fraction, one out of four people, you know, I can picture them now, you know, I just, I love that one. That's so great. And it's so easy um, to do, you know, Um, I love uh, asking the presenter to go back a slide. I think that's so that brilliant because you don't, you literally don't need to be paying attention to a single thing being said. I think that's the thing that I realize about it is each one of the things is you really need no knowledge of what's going on in the meeting, which most people are not paying attention. So that's, what's really helpful about it. Just to be able to say, oh, I'm sorry, could you go back a slide? Yeah. It stops the entire meeting. You know, everybody's like, oh my gosh, what did we miss on that last slide? And then the presenter, of course, immediately goes back and is worried, you know, about what, you know, is the question's going to be asked. And then, you know, just say something like, yeah, could you just explain this a little bit more? That's all yeah. you need to do. I appreciated your tip, though, to make sure you don't do that on the first slide. On the slide. first slide, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> that would, yeah, that's an immediate um, right. exposure. I also like the step back. Like yeah. we need to take a step back. Yeah. I thought that was funny. I know. And that's one of the th- ones that I've said a ton of times and people say it and I don't think it's a non-useful thing to say. I just think that you can say it without actually knowing what anybody's talking about. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so then after this post went viral, mm-hmm. sounds like that led to you creating the Cooper review, mm-hmm. which that's how I eventually found you. Um, you had put in, I think I came across your article on medium Mm -hmm. for the first time. And it was the difference between living in New York and San Francisco. Mm -hmm. But tell me about the Cooper review, what that is and what kind of work you do there. Um, well, yeah, I mean, once I started building up, uh, you know, followers on medium, I decided I wanted to start, you know, my own site, which obviously I'd, I'd wanted to do for a while. You know, when I started, Ula love, um, So I wanted it to be sort of associated with my name, but not just my name. I wanted it to be like a place where, you know, it was very clearly satire. Um, And since the office humor was working really well on Medium, I really just started with that. And I just started putting everything that I put on Medium there and just started thinking about other ways, other things that I could make fun of with sort of the office uh, situation. And then, uh, you know, recently... um, 
really actually starting with the San Francisco, New York comparison, um, starting to branch out a little bit and starting to write more about, you know, other things um, other than uh, just office humor. Um, but a lot of it is just very tongue in cheek um, and very uh, just very satirical. And that's that's what I want it to be. So what are some of the differences you've learned between San Francisco and New York? Um, well, the most controversial one is the weather, which I've, you know, I'm so sick of people arguing with me about this because I think weather is the most boring thing to talk about Why in the is that whole controversial? world. Because I said that the weather here is perfect oh. all the time. And I said that in New York, it's either cold, hot. And for a very small portion of the year, it's it's perfect. Um, but then in San Francisco, it's perfect all the time, which isn't true. It's not always perfect. It, it, well, I think it's like close. I, I think people who like complain about the weather here have probably lived like in California their whole life. Yeah. Because to me, the weather. So I've, I grew up in Missouri, mm-hmm. very seasonal, very mm-hmm. cold winters, very hot summers. Then I lived in Louisiana for a while. Mm where it's like five months of the year, I don't even want to go outside. Mm-hmm. So to me, this is like pretty much perfect weather. Yeah, and I think that's the key is that I just moved from New York where last winter we had zero degrees for weeks, you know? And people are like, it's freezing here. It's always cold. It's so chilly. It's so windy. And the chilly, windy, freezing weather here is like 50 degrees. It's not what it was in New York. And so, no, it's not perfect. And yes, I do have to wear a sweater, but <laughs> comparatively, <laughs> it's it's pretty nice. Right. Um, the attitude one, I think, uh, resonated with a lot of people of just New Yorkers being very clear with how they feel about you at the time. The get the fuck out of my way. Versus here, people are very passive aggressive yeah. and they've mastered passive aggression. And it's, uh, I, I, I can't say which is better. I think New York is better. I think New York beats San Francisco in that respect because I think if you can be honest and open with how you're feeling, it, even if it feels aggressive, at least it's honest. Here, uh, there's just too many tight-lipped people that are just repressing a lot of emotions. Right. <laughs> okay. So some yeah. of my other favorite ones, and I don't know if all of these are on the Cooper Review. Some of them I just found on your website. Mm-hmm. But another one I really liked was 14 rap lyrics oh, yeah. you can use in your conference call today. What's yeah. some rap lyrics you can use? Oh, I I think I I think I had I, I can't even remember. I liked that. it. I think that there's an inter, there's an introduction one yeah, where you're like straight you out of Cambridge. Like how you announce yourself on the phone? <laughs> yeah, straight out of Cambridge. <laughs> a product manager named Jeff Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I think is funny. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. I don't remember what they are, but they're okay. basically just plays on. Yeah. Rap well, it's a good one. I don't know. I don't think I'm going to implement any of those, oh, okay. but, uh, I did think they were funny. Thank you. Uh, there was a great video you did on getting married in your twenties versus thirties. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what some of the differences are there? Yeah. Um, the, the thing that gave me the idea for this was my bachelorette party where, uh, one of my friends went into her purse and, we like brought out some vitamin B12 complex so that that would help our, you know, hangovers the next day. And it just, you know, hit me that if we were 25, we'd be doing E, not vitamin B12 (laughs) complex. And so that's one of them. And, uh, changing my name was a huge one because I just know that growing up, I was like, Oh, what's my name going to be like, you know, what am I going to change my name to? And now I don't want to change my name. I just don't want to change it. It's, it's, it's still kind of, I think my husband really does want me to change my name, but I still don't want to do the paperwork. I don't want to go through the process of it. I just want to be Sarah Cooper. Um, so I'll probably not change my name. <clears throat> um, the 
you know, wanting to invite everyone and have a huge wedding uh, is, is definitely a big one. Um, and it's sad, but the reason really is, you know, when you get older, you don't keep in touch with people and you really do realize who you want there and who you don't want there. And, you know, for better or worse, that just means that you don't have a big wedding usually. Um, so those are some of them. Okay. So we talked about this journey you've been on and kind of bouncing back and forth. Um, where, where do you see yourself now? Um, I know you, you, you left your job at Google recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're doing the creative thing through your writing and the, and the Cooper review website. And, you know, I just learned you're writing a book mm-hmm. as well. Um, where do you see yourself in that journey? Still bouncing or more settled um, on a path? Well, I'll tentatively say I'm more settled um, because I am taking myself more seriously now. And I do see a path to making money doing this. And I think I just didn't see that before. I didn't see how this could be a career. But now that I have a website and I have a presence and I have these avenues like writing a book or, you know, putting together videos, um, I see that there's a path to actually making it a career. And the longer I stay away, the harder it's going to be for me to go back, um, I think, to, to the corporate world. I just, I think I'm more optimistic this, this time around. Um, I see a lot of potential. Um, I see more potential for me to use all of my talents on a daily basis versus what I was doing in the corporate world, which was, um, you know, fun in terms of like, I got to work with a lot of great people, but what I was actually doing wasn't making use of, of what, of everything that I enjoy and everything that I'm good at. Um, whereas when you run your own business and it's something that you're really excited about and passionate about, you really are, you're firing on all cylinders. Um, every day is important. Every hour is important. You, you try to make the most of all the time that you have to get, to move yourself forward. Um, and so I'm very attracted to staying with it this time. And I'm hoping that I, I do, um, I also this time have a husband who's very supportive and also can support me while I'm um, trying this. And I think that's also very helpful. Um, if you're just on it by yourself, I, you know, it's, it's pretty hard. Um, <clears throat> so I'm working on the book proposal. Um, and, um, I'm hoping that'll be the start of many books. I don't want to just make one book. I want to, I want to write a lot of books. Um, and I'm just going to continue like working on the, on the website and, um, hopefully, you know, maybe going back to stand up and we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm definitely more settled this time around. What is the book about? I know you already told me, but tell everybody. Um, so the proposal, uh, that I'm working on right now is for a hundred tricks to appear smart in meetings. And so it's every meeting you can imagine one-on-ones, check-ins, offsites, team building meetings, brainstorming meetings, every, every meeting you can imagine and what you can do to appear smart in every single one of those situations. You're going to be the next Dilbert. <laughs> I author. hope. I forget the guy's name who like did that. Uh, yeah, but Dave something. I think he's from yeah. the, he's from the Bay Area, I believe. I think he is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what about, so the, the website, the Cooper Review seems mm-hmm. to be doing really well. I mm-hmm. think it's awesome. Like how many, um, how many like visits do you get to it? Like how many people are like looking at it? Um, I, I'm getting about, 
you know, between 10 and 40,000 um, hits a day. Damn. Um, yeah. I mean, like if, if something goes viral, awesome. like the San Francisco thing, you know, I was getting 100,000 hits um, for like a few days, but it's just, it's very up and down. Do you think that was my tweet? I think. The medical <laughs> I think it had with a lot t- to do with that. With my 200 followers? Yeah. My 200 followers just jumped on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's exciting when things, when people like really are into things. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, right. And I enjoy watching my stats just as much as I enjoy writing stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I had, I had also read that, you know, I know you're living in San Francisco now, mm-hmm. but you had lived here once before. Mm-hmm. And you said that when you moved here, San Francisco became your favorite city in the world. Uh, why is that? And is it still? Um, so I lived in the marina and I think that I, I have to make sure everybody knows that because it's a very different place than most of the rest of San Francisco. And it was just idyllic to me. You know, I could see the, the Golden Gate Bridge from my window. I walked out and Marina Green and the water. It was just, I felt like I was on vacation uh, every day. Um, I walked to the grocery store. I walked to see a movie. I walked to do everything that I needed to do, which was a, com- it was completely different from Atlanta. Atlanta, you have to drive everywhere. And so this was the first time I had lived in a city where I didn't need a car. Okay, Cause you hadn't lived <clears throat> in New York at this point. I yet. hadn't lived in New York at that point. So this was the first kind of bigger city that I lived in. <clears throat> um, and I love tech and I loved being in a world where I said I was a designer and people knew exactly what I did. I think, I think that was the first time that had happened for me as well. Cause you know, everywhere else people are not sure what that means at all. Um, and so I loved being around like the startup scene at that time and, you know, going to one eleven Minna and hanging out and, uh, seeing people just trying different things. I mean, it's even crazier now than it was back then, but it was still a lot of fun. You just felt like you were part of something, you know? Um, so I think I like that about it as well. What neighborhood do you live in now? Uh, hate Ashbury. Hate Ashbury. Okay. Yeah. So I always ask everybody to tell me about some of their favorite spots in their neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I know you haven't been living there a long yeah. time, but I'm still going to ask. Okay. Um, <laughs> based on what you know so far, what's, what's your three favorite things to do or places to go in the hate? Um, okay. So, we uh, walk up to Twin Peaks a lot, and I say a lot. We did it twice, but every time it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. And there's not a lot of hiking or walking around in New York, so I think that's the one thing we like taking advantage of. Um, I love the view from up there because it's, it's such a. There's so many views from the city, mm-hmm. like from the city, like of the bay. Yeah. But that is a view of like you're up above behind everything. the city yeah. and kind of like looking down mm-hmm. on it. It's really and you can see view. everything. It's yeah, just gorgeous. Awesome. Yeah. So I love doing that. Um, I, this isn't a place to hang out, but the Hate Street Market okay. <laughs> has uh, really amazing sandwiches. I'm just going to plug their sandwiches. Uh, the deli there is great. Um, and on Tuesdays, well, they have a um, frequent like sandwich buyer card that you can get and on tuesdays it's a double stamp day damn (laughs) so just letting all your your (laughs) listeners know that you get double stamps and so that means that every um few weeks we get a free sandwich nice so what's your favorite sandwich there it's gus's special gus's special it's got avocado and turkey and um you know mayo and cheese it's delicious anything with avocado i love 
Um, and then the last place that I will say is a restaurant that my husband and I have, have already been to three or four times. And I think it's called Bazaar, but I don't, it might. Bazaar. Bazaar or Razar or it has a Z in it. Um, and I wish I had looked this up before. Should I just look it up right now? Uh, sure. Okay. What is it? Uh, what kind of restaurant is it? It's, it's pretty much American. Um, it's, it's nothing crazy, but their chicken sandwich is, I don't know what they, what they do to it, but it's absolutely to die for. Okay. Um, we're going to get this Hold on, everybody. <laughs> I don't want anyone to miss out on this. Yeah. Cause I, I haven't like heard of this place unless the name is like way off. Kazar. Oh, Kazars. 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 Okay. There yeah, we go. Yeah. Kizar yeah, well, that's one of the fun. that's one of the um, most well known sports bars okay. in the city. Yeah, and right I love their wings. Oh yeah, I should try them. So what is the sa- what is the sandwich that you said you really like? It's there? the chicken sandwich. The it's chicken just sandwich. their chicken okay. sandwich. It's really good. Um, Pedrocito across Pedrocito the street. We really went there good. for um, Cinco de Mayo. It was okay. also really good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the other, I guess, the final question I always ask everybody is if they had to move away from San Francisco, how would they spend their last day here? Oh. And you know. I know you're maybe not as sentimental as some of us are because you've just been here mm-hmm. like a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, take me through your perfect San Francisco day. If you knew you were, for some reason, going to maybe move back to New York or something, how would you spend your last day here? Um, I would. It would definitely include the Golden Gate Bridge. I love that bridge. Um, I don't know. Maybe I would drive over it and maybe walk back I'm not sure I I would definitely just hang out there um I would um probably the Embarcadero too um these are all really boring sorry I like it (laughs) the bridge would definitely the Golden Gate Bridge would be my last day I'd bike across yeah yeah um what else would I do Probably to Twin Peaks again. Um, I'd want to go. I'd want to go to wine country. I want to go wine tasting. Just one place. I wouldn't spend a lot of time there, but I would want to drink there. Um, I would. I would drive um, down the one. Yeah. I love. I love like driving south towards like Big Sur. Yeah, I love driving down the coast. I just think it's so beautiful and it's it's such an awesome experience. So I would do that. That's not really in the city, but no, that, that um, counts. Yeah, yeah, I love Big Sur. Big yeah. Sur is one of the most beautiful coastlines I've seen, and I feel like I've seen like a lot, like around the world, and it's like mm-hmm. few rival like the color of blue of that yeah. water and like the sheer cliffs. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's breathtaking. Okay, well, that sounds like a very filling day. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know if I could get all that better done. better get up early. Or <laughs> <laughs> set the alarm early for that day. Yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Sarah because she hasn't been afraid to try new things. And when things didn't work out or she wasn't happy, she moved on and she tried something else. I think with each new thing she's tried, she learned something a little bit more about what her true passions are. And I get the feeling she's getting very close to landing on the answer. You can read more about Sarah by going to the San Francisco People website. It's sfpeoplepodcast.com. From the front page, click on Sarah's picture, 
Matt will get you a recap of the show and links to everything we talked about, including a link to the Cooper Review Rep website. If you're on Twitter, you can follow the show at SF People Podcast. And if you tweet about a San Francisco person doing something interesting, tag your tweet with the hashtag SF People. I'll be following those to help me find new guests for the show. You can also send me an email with your ideas to frank at sfpeoplepodcast.com. Thanks to everyone for listening. We'll be back in a few weeks. I'm Frank Garza for San Francisco People. Thank you.